0: Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement.
1: And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life.
0: Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes.
1: We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, everybody. Welcome back.
0: We are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, and we're excited that you are here with us Thank you for returning or coming <laughs> for the first time.
1: Yeah, we've uh, we've gotten a lot of comments this week uh, say, saying that there were a lot of like squeals of joy and smiles and stuff when they heard last week's episode with the the announcement that we have a third co-host, a very silent one right now, but hope I doubt he's going to stay silent forever. Our our new miniature dachshund, DW.
0: Yes, and there are pictures on. Instagram and so forth if you're curious I did not put them in the show notes so I did get some pushback that they were not in the show notes so oh dear well but at least they, people are checking they're, the show they're notes on slow motion running photos uh, which are always good with the miniature dachshunds.
1: that's true actually you know what I'm gonna say DW actually kind of crushed the hashtag consummate athlete party in these pa- this past week and a half
0: right this is the Canadian long weekend in May through to the Memorial Day USA. Uh, long weekend so we're just concluding that today i guess
1: yeah and we were challenging people to just try new activities not necessarily anything super super crazy or extreme but you know just just little stuff whether it's you know just sticking with your usual routine or you know sneaking in maybe a little like youtube video of how to do a salsa dance and and we
0: can make the deadline maybe like tuesday after the the memorial day long weekend Mm -hmm. uh in 2020 Uh, in case you're just listening to this i'll try and get this episode up for that memorial day even perfect yeah Yeah,
1: yes you've got one more day when you're hearing this um and we're gonna announce a couple winners and yeah it's it's been pretty fun i'm gonna say like i we've we've been a little bit busy with dog training but i feel like for us that's actually a pretty consummate athlete activity it's one that we've been preparing for
0: well yeah we got to get our ping pong out maybe tonight it's friday night so a little bit of Table tennis, yeah. Table tennis, not beer pong. I was going to say pong, but uh, be clear about the type of pong we're playing. I mean, uh, DW was that.
1: crushing tennis the other day.
0: Well, and he went on his longest hike. He circumnavigated a tree in the, the front yard.
1: Yep, yep. A whopping, like, I'm going to say six meters maybe yeah. total? He's
0: built to it slowly, though, so it's it's good. Yeah. Uh, so otherwise, yeah, we got big runs this weekend and a big ride, and it's everyone's ev- there's Everesting going on, I, I've heard. There's a local... Yeah uh athlete who i used to coach who's going for it on a gravel road on a single speed so
1: that's a really specific form of everesting
0: yeah so i might ride down and just go up once with her i don't have much interest in more than that but that's uh, fair yeah kudos to that and that's awesome yeah we should almost I, i was thinking that that seems to be the popular thing right now is this everesting this idea of one hill and you climb the equivalent of mount everest
1: do you know what the equivalent amount of Mount Everest is? Uh, I think
0: it's like eight thousand meters, approximate. Yeah, something like that.
1: As one girl we coached would say, "Big oof." Ah, uh, yeah. Very yeah. big oof.
0: Yeah, so it's good. We're I was out mountain biking this week too, which mm-hmm. is a new discipline for me because I have not done it in many, 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 many months. So that was that is the s- discipline I specialize in and prefer to do. So it's always the reminder of of why I actually ride bikes.
1: It's funny. I actually had sort of similar with running on trails this past weekend. Um, Actually being able to get out and, you know, get a little bit, get a little bit of mud, get a little bit of grit and grime over the course of a bunch of miles. Uh, So that was, that was just the nicest feeling in the world.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing how that specificity, right? Like running is running, but it's the second you add some sort of technicality and, and variable, you know, foot strikes and ups and downs. Certainly. I know I joined you on this run and, I could barely walk for several days afterwards. I maybe went a little little long.
1: Yep, yep, <laughs> pushed it a little bit far, but that was a Glassford route, so.
0: It was, it was.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, what else? You've been you've been on the phone a lot this week.
0: Yeah, I think now with the, the seasons in Canada, it's getting nicer and, um, you know, we're sort of into this transition almost riding outside as, you know, some of the virus stuff maybe loosens up in some areas. It's, you know, now people are riding maybe a little bit more outside uh, and the weather certainly, again, just as being nicer. So trying to transition to like what is training outside and how do you train outside, which is, is fairly common. There's sort of, I always joke, there's some people think you know, how do you ever train for cycling outdoors? And then other people are confused that there's training for cycling indoors. So there's sort of two groups of people and and the idea is to try and bring them together and and do both. Uh, But yeah, they're sort of learning to do intervals. So lots of clients have done like their first, you know, intervals outside or, or, you know, hill intervals or like a test or something, right? And it's usually good because the power is usually higher uh, when you're outside. So that's always fun. And it's usually more fun as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's also been just kind of interesting. You've actually had new clients coming to you, even though, you know, the race calendar is currently clear. But it seems like people are more, I guess, now that it's been kind of a couple of months and people are starting to understand like, okay, racing might not be happening this season, but maybe there's other reasons or, you know, reasons to be fit or motivators to be fit.
0: Yeah, I would say I I was fortunate or or by design, just by who I work with, there's a lot of long-term, right? Like we're all sort of focused on being healthy and and athletes. And that's sort of just my clientele are the more, you know, working people who there's races, there's tours, there's whatever on the calendar. And it's a bummer when those aren't there, certainly. Uh, But most people are are in it for the long run. So that's, I guess, a benefit in terms of a business side of things. But I think now as we're getting into the, again, the riding outdoor season, you're able to see people now where they're like, you know, I have been sort of plateaued at this threshold power, or I haven't been getting any fitter, or I'm struggling with motivation, or I've burnt myself out on, you know, Zwift riding on the trainer virtually uh what what now right and so i think there's always that like the reason to get coaching there's very there's skill coaching there's you know someone to hold you back someone to motivate you someone to you know offload the training to or hold you accountable there's people list all sorts of different reasons to get coaching um but yeah i think now that we're getting into riding season it's people are starting to get a keen and and you're seeing people doing everstein or, or setting some of these more individual targets
1: yeah i love that been really yeah it's just been really cool to kind of hear about some of the, the stories that people have and what people are getting excited about um, I'm not personally like super into the virtual racing or like Strava segments or anything but I'm really enjoying hearing people like talking about them and getting excited about them like they would have for races
0: now we're in an odd like uh, saddle but you're doing a virtual race of sorts you're doing a marathon or yeah. or will have done a marathon. We don't want to jinx it for you. am. but uh, <laughs> yes, there's this time uh, Continuum. challenge. Yes, I guess. <laughs> um, so we're not going to assume it went well, but you are doing that. So um,
1: actually, yeah, if you head over to today, today being Monday, or this episode coming out on Monday, if you head over to athlete dot com, I'm going to be posting a bunch about sort of how my yeah Sunday virtual marathon went and sort of my post-marathon feels. Cause
0: and that was our past guest, right? Yeah, uh, we had Liz Werner on two
1: weeks ago and we actually had my run coach on, David Roche, last week. So it's been a very like Molly's running world. <sighs> yeah, and, and, uh, and that could be here. something, you
0: know, when people are looking for races, right? Like a, a race essentially is just a date and a, a, a time that you're supposed to start at, right? And some of us, you know, I'll, I'll just say, I'm you know going riding tomorrow at 10 a.m., um and, and it's gonna be hard, right? But some people need like some sort of social anchor right and, and David talks about one of the the links actually I put onto Instagram was like a preview where he's talking about like it's very normal to to feel like weird that you don't have external motivators and and it's actually people like himself and I would say myself where you're very internally motivated, but that's a flaw and often actually makes for worse performance in the end, right? Because you're always protective of getting back to training as soon as you can, um, Mm -hmm. which I guess makes coaches um, and not tremendous athletes, but he is a tremendous athlete though. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I'll say I'm a moderate athlete. All that to say, I think some of these run challenges like that are pretty loose, like this one uh, that you're doing, it's just you're supposed to do a marathon on this day, right? And yeah, and there's and there's a variety. It could be a, a 10k, even, right?
1: Yep, yeah, you could pick any distance. Obviously, when she said she was doing a marathon, I was like, of course, I'm going to do a marathon too. Yeah, um, and I'll try to actually start the same time she is, which is going to be a bit early for me. Sure, uh, but but that's racing. right? That's racing. Yeah, exactly.
0: The other item I wanted to do before we get into today's episode is just the, the Strava drama of the week. We, dun, we, we dun. should have an epi- or uh, article at consummateathlete.com for this with some links. But Strava has um, announced that they're going to charge for more features. So you have sort of two camps of people that like it's about time and I'm okay with that and I'm going to pay for it. Or already was paying for the premium services. Uh, and then a lot of other people who are looking for other options. So we sort of talked about that briefly and put some of the other options, but also suggested that it's OK to pay if you really love Strava. That's it's really not that much. I
1: mean, it really is five bucks a month.
0: Like. Yeah. Yeah. But and then I also understand that, you know, it's hard times right now and, and not everyone's so married to Strava that, you know, you need to stay. You could go look for some other features if you need anything.
1: I'll say because one of the things that they did was um, they're only showing the top 10 men and women on the leaderboard. So really what I've heard from a lot of my friends is like, well, okay, we're going to have to get a lot faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's depending on who you talk to, right? Like I was talking to Quentin DeSera yesterday, who's one of our faster male mountain bikers in Canada. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, you can still see the top 10, so it'll still work fine. And I was like, well. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, cause it really doesn't matter. And I was like, yeah, I guess. I don't know if that's how I ever am, But
1: number 11 would uh, like to have a word with Mr. Yeah. DeSera. Well, I guess his
0: point, I don't want to put words into his mouth either. He's a very nice, he didn't mean it like that might have sound sounded but his point was like if you're going for it like you sort of would know your time and and if you get it you get it if you don't get it you don't get it and and, yeah try try again right like at some point it's like you didn't get it but some people like the comparison and the age groups and the the, you can still see the women's um but you can't like isolate by age or or week and stuff so Mm -hmm. anyhow that's that's sort of nerdy strava strava nerdy but uh we have a post up there if you're looking for alternatives or just point of view on that Uh, at consummateathlete.com but today we have a consummate athlete yeah someone who's a a busy athlete who does some pretty amazing things
1: yeah former rower runner turned pro cyclist also busy executive actual investment banker also what is it with women in finance and extreme endurance sport uh we talk about that link actually uh we have uh team tibco's kristen faulkner on uh she is awesome it was such a fun conversation you know talking about kind of all things between you know lockdown quarantine virtual riding maybe virtual racing i think we're both we were both pretty like meh swift is swift is good but also a little a little kooky and just it's a tool of,
0: yeah. not everyone has to use the tool exactly yeah
1: and like how she balances i mean a pretty intensive job with a pretty intensive hobby um and you know why she chooses to do that because Hmm. let's let's be honest you know women's women's cycling is not really known for its huge paychecks or anything so she's really like in it because she absolutely loves it and is like obsessed with racing yeah um and it's yeah just a really fun conversation with someone who you know is working that full-time job and you know has kind of figured out what sort of that like mad like balance point for right now and she's very quick to admit that like it probably won't be the right balance point forever but like she's found how to manage having a career and racing full-time
0: yeah which i think it's always nice talking to any athletes but the ones that sort of have other stuff going on right or or maybe have some more wisdom sometimes that is at least directly transferable right
1: yeah exactly like this isn't someone who gets to put in like seven hour rides on a tuesday right she's got calls she you know while we talked she had just come off of another zoom call we joked about i mean luckily right now working from home is actually working out well for her but we joked about like how to go from like workout to your zoom call with like you know a venture capitalist or something where you're supposed to be like quite professional put on
0: your blazer over top of your kit exactly
1: exactly yeah so yeah it's a it's a really fun conversation and i think you know whether you're interested in pro cycling or not you're gonna you're gonna find out a lot about how to sort of make more room in your life for whatever sport it is that you enjoy so without further ado enjoy this conversation with kristen faulkner Thank you so much for for taking the time to to do the podcast. I'm excited to to talk to you. I haven't had that many like pro female road racers on in the past, actually.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm a very new pro. I, they say neo pro, so um, this is just my first year on the team. But um, I'm excited to to represent. Yeah. So I mean, okay. Let's let's get
1: into it. Your give me your sport kind of background, sport bio. Were you always athletic? Did you come to this later in life, or How did you end up in the neo-pro category?
2: Yeah, so athletics and sports, in fact, endurance sports more particularly, have kind of always been a part of my identity. I grew up as a swimmer, so I was born into a really small fishing town in Alaska, so it was kind of mandatory that every young kid learned how to swim.
1: Fair enough.
2: So I I was five or so, and then competitively swam all throughout um, my childhood and through high school. And then in high school, I went to a boarding school in Massachusetts where I also learned how to row. And I did cross-country running and rowing and swimming because we had to do different sports throughout the year. And so then I ended up rowing in college. And um, then after college, I moved to New York City to work in finance. And I just really missed the team aspect of rowing. And miss being part of a community. It was a relatively cutthroat job. And I just really wanted a team around me. And then I also missed the fitness component. And so I was working out on the elliptical one day in a gym. And I was like, this is just not for me. (laughs) So I tried running a marathon or training for a marathon and got injured. And one of my friends was like, I have an extra bike. Why don't you go try biking? And so I went out for an intro session and I was kind of just hooked. So, um, that was kind of my path to cycling, but I have been an endurance athlete my entire life and I can't imagine not being able to, to work out, uh, mm-hmm. for exercise or even compete. I think it would just be a very, uh, I'd be missing the part of myself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I get that. Um, what is it about women in finance finding their way to cycling and triathlon? I feel like this is a weirdly common story.
2: It's definitely a common story. You know, I think, I think the first thing is um, just the discipline, kind of the type A personality, um, you know, the, the desire for competition, the desire to be your best, to push yourself. Um, I also think there's something around... Um, kind of being the minority, me- no, I don't want to use the word minority, but um, um, like, you know, finance is kind of a man's world. And I think um, it kind of takes a lot of grit to overcome that. And um, I think it's the same kind of grit that when you're in the middle of a race, you kind of just need to like put your head down and work hard. And um, so I think there's um, kind of ambition, hard work, grit, and the ability to kind of uh, brush off any kind of bs that might come your way and just keep working <laughs> yeah um so I, I think those are all um aspects of it um but yeah i think just the type a personality in general seems to attract both yeah uh, or both it seem to attract the type a personality yeah for sure Uh, And then I have to ask
1: because, because obviously being in finance, I imagine you're, you're very, you know, statistics and numbers oriented on that side. Do you find that you love like the techier side and like the numbers side of cycling, or do you actually shy away from it because that's what you do in your work life?
2: I do enjoy analyzing numbers. I think, you know, every day I come home and when I know my workout, I love to look at my training peaks data. Um, I will say, I think sometimes it's, It's necessary for me just emotionally to just not turn on my power numbers, not look at my heart rate and just go ride for the sake of riding. Yeah. And I, I, especially during the off season. Um, But yeah, when I'm riding, I'm looking at my Garmin, you know, for, for pretty much the whole time in an interval, just making sure that I'm hitting the numbers. My cadence is right. My power is right. My heart rate's in the zone it should be. I think I tend to... Um, you know, I really like to understand the why behind the Mm -hmm. numbers. And so, um, you know, if I'm not feeling well one day, I want to look at my numbers and understand, you know, why might that be the case? Um, Sometimes it helps give me a little break because I'm like, oh, maybe I'm overtrained. Or um, sometimes when my numbers are really great, I'm like, okay, well, let's try to understand why that might be. So um, I think it just, it gives me a peace of mind sometimes to look at the numbers so I can understand the why behind what I'm feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking about, as you were talking about, you know, balancing these two things is like the balance of being competitive. I mean, while being competitive is like obviously an awesome thing and let's, you know, any of us in the endurance world, you know, are competitive at some point, how do you balance, you know, the competitive drive with cycling, the competitive drive with work, with just like being an Normal person, I guess. Yeah, or- yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> no, it, it's a completely valid question. I actually, so I worked in New York, and um, when I, one of the reasons I chose to start cycling was it felt like a much more team oriented sport than mm-hmm. what I had at work, and also then say training for a marathon or, or something else, and so, or even triathlons. Um, yeah. And I, I actually considered, you know, doing all of those, but Cycling felt like the most team oriented. I did. Um, I actually tried rowing, but I had to commute like an hour and a half each way Ew. to the house and working in my job in New York. I was like, it's not going to work getting up at 4 a.m. every day and, and doing that. Um, and so when I had that pretty competitive job in New York, I actually felt like cycling was an outlet for me because it was just a really great community and team to be a part of and then after two years in that job i really wanted to be in a work environment that was more collaborative and so i actually switched companies i moved to california and i specifically chose the company i'm at now it's called threshold ventures and it's a small team it's very team oriented everyone works together on projects and um, it doesn't have at all the kind of cutthroat competitive vibe that i had previously um, and that was something i sought out because mm-hmm. I, I realized pretty early on, kind of post-college, how important it was to have um a team around me. And even in cycling, you know, I I think with COVID, like one of the things that has been really hard on me is not having that team and community aspect. Yeah. Um so I mean, so there's that. And then I think just in terms of the competitiveness in terms of um, you know, working hard towards a goal and always striving for something next. I think I, um, I definitely need to give myself a break every now and then. I, I, something I'm actually working on getting better at is just relaxing and being okay, not always trying to hit numbers or, you know, trying to hit a deliverable. Um, but I think, you know, that, um, riding with people who aren't necessarily in my category or just riding with friends, you know, it, it, um, it really takes away some of the intensity aspect of training. Mm -hmm. So I only do interval training with numbers, you know, maybe three days a week. And then the other days it's, you know, a long endurance ride where I try to ride with friends or it's a group ride at noon where it might be punchy and competitive, but it, it's at the end of the day, more community oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just find that having, having people around me in a team and a community where it doesn't feel as individual makes it, it doesn't seem competitive. It seems like we're all working towards the same goal of becoming better together.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I actually kind of came from the same thing. I started with triathlon when I got into sport and then ended up in cycling, not because I was better at it. Actually, it was just because I loved the team atmosphere so much that, that that's what got me hooked. And I wasted probably 10 years of endurance racing poorly because I loved cycling so much for the atmosphere (laughs) versus the actual talent side of it, which I do not have. Um,
2: But one of my, one of my actually, when I joined Tipco, one of my biggest fears was, you know, I had been part of this local local team. And Mm -hmm. one of the things a lot of people don't realize is when you make the jump to the pro level, your team is actually distributed around the country or in my case around the world. And so you don't have that same local community anymore as part of your team. Yeah. And that was actually a really hard transition for me because I was used to just hitting up the team for, you know, team, team rides, team practices, all these things that I'd been used to in cycling. And I can still, you know, call them up and going rides with, with them, but it's different when they organ, you know, the local team will organize, you know, team rides. And I'm not part of that anymore. Right. And so it actually was a, um it was a transition that I had to make and I it was hard at first because I felt like I had lost a community um I gained a new one but it it was very different you know it was more virtual yeah um especially with COVID like we haven't really been riding together at at all with the new team so it is interesting um kind of how the dynamics of of Socializing really play a role in cycling,
1: yeah, for sure, and I that was actually exactly what I wanted to ask you about is so I was lucky you know I found cycling in college, so I had a collegiate team to jump onto, and then from there you know it just kind of spirals you sort of follow where they end up and goes from there but how do you how do you find a team or how did you find a team sort of coming to it post college
2: yeah, so I had a team in New York, so what actually the way I got into cycling so i had borrowed my friend's bike and i didn't know how to clip in to pedals and i saw these people biking around central park and um they just looked pretty intense and so i was like well maybe i should go learn to clip in and learn how to properly cycle and i had Biked growing up just for fun, you know, around town. But I didn't know anything about proper cycling. So at this intro session, you know, I kind of learned what bib shorts were and what clip and shoes were, and um, you know, all the, uh, you know, what a what a base layer is, and all these things. <laughs> so they, you know, um, in New York, they have this really great cycling community called um, CRCA, and they host sessions for beginners and they actually host a woman's beginner woman specific beginner session so that's what i showed up for and they had us do some drills they taught us how to you know ride in a straight line and then at the very end of one of the sessions uh they actually just had us they're like go sprint you know sprint to that line and so uh we all just did that and um one of the women came up to me and she goes hey you're you know you're a good sprinter you're fun to talk to like why don't you come try out for our team and at the time i didn't really realize that cycling was as team oriented like i had known a little bit but um i chatted with her i chatted with the team coach and that was the team Dave jordan which i ended up racing for for two years in new york and actually about a year and a half and um so that's how i got looped into that team and um from there when i left new york I was moving to California and I didn't know anyone in California who cycled and so I actually reached out to someone who had been on my New York Dave Jordan team um, who I didn't know and but had moved to California a few years before me and she introduced me to a coach out here and then the coach out here introduced me to a team out here. So it was kind of through a little bit of networking and meeting people and asking for some information, um, and that's just a, a really good lesson I learned in general with life is just to, you know, people out there are more knowledgeable than you, just lean on them for support and advice and recommendations, and usually you'll land somewhere better than if you just yeah. try to do it completely on your own, so uh, that's how I found the, the team here. Yeah, I think that's something a
1: lot of people, a lot of new cyclists miss cuz they get, you know, really nervous or intimidated about the idea of showing up for even the beginner friendly rides. Like it's still kind of scary, especially, you know, if you show up and you don't have the bib shorts or you know, the the right kind of bike or the shoes with, you know, the clip in pedals or all that kind of stuff, but I think yeah, like showing up is 90% of the battle at that <laughs> and yeah. you know, usually people are happy to help as soon as you're there.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think cycling is particularly a relatively intimidating sport. Yeah. For newcomers. I, I don't know why, but there is some kind of obsession with looking the part and having nice equipment. And I, you know, frankly, I don't like it. I, I think it cr- increases the barriers for novices. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was just, I, I thought it was pretty incredible what what was offered in new york for um the new riders because it was so welcoming and i showed up in running shorts my first day i actually showed up i i I was trying to do my best to have clip-in pedals and um so i showed up to the second practice kind of trying to fit in with clip-in pedals and i'd gotten the wrong cleat pedal pairing i think i had like keo cleats and shimano something wrong (laughs) and I couldn't clip in and I was like oh my goodness this is so embarrassing and and so there is you know a woman who was really nice and showed me um but you know I I feel like there there are a lot of technical aspects to getting into riding, and um for someone who just doesn't know anything about cycling it doesn't grow up around it it can be really intimidating to um, make that first step. So I I hope that when I, you know, when I try to convince my friends to get into cycling, I make sure to kind of give them the rundown and um, make sure that they don't feel intimidated because I want more people in the sport and I want to make it as accessible as possible.
1: Yes, exactly. It's, yeah, I I remember my my first few rides. I think it was like a year or so. No, it was like two years before I actually realized that bike shorts existed because no one told (laughs) me. So... (laughs) yeah, huge barrier to entry in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. So now you're on this, you know, pro team, you're a Neo pro and you're still working full time.
2: How the heck are you balancing all of this? It's a great question. Um, Well, so I, I think there's a few things that I've done um, intentionally to kind of set up my life so that I could do both. And then there's, a few aspects of luck that come involved. Um, The first is, so I work in venture capital. I chose to move from my old company to a smaller company because I wanted to have a close relationship with my colleagues. And, um, and that has proved to be very helpful in in my cycling pursuits, because I feel like I have a, not just a professional relationship, but like a personal rapport with the people I work with. And so Mm -hmm. they really care about me, not just as an employee, but also as a human being and and holistically. Um, And they see that cycling is really important to me. And so there's been times, you know, where I've asked to take a Friday off to go to a stage race. And um, I actually had a very frank conversation with my boss, you know, about having to take a week off or a few weeks off throughout the year for these races. And, um, you know, I definitely had to prove myself at work and in my first year to really show that, I could get work done and cycle. Um, But also I think investing the time to help them understand, You know, I've been a varsity athlete my entire life. And so I balance school and sports and balancing work and sports is not that different. I don't have a family, I don't have a significant other right now. So like, I think for me, most of my life is work and cycling. And um, I think really painting a picture around that for them to understand um, has been really helpful. And then also making a lot of sacrifices. You know, I moved from San Francisco, where a lot of my friends are, to Menlo Park to be close to work, to avoid my commute, um, so that I had that much more time each day to train. So I think, um, you know, having an open dialogue and honest communication with my colleagues has been helpful. I think making sacrifices in my personal life has been helpful. Um, and then I think having, you know, really leaning on a community around me, um, both in the cycling community and the, in the work community, has been helpful. Um, there's, you know, small anecdotes. Like, um, I, I do the stall ride most Wednesdays and I had a phone call, a work phone call in the middle of the day. And I was planning to just dip out of the stall ride and take it from a coffee shop. And we're actually near big basin at some point and on the ride. And I was like, Oh no, I don't have cell phone service. I'm not going to get to the (laughs) coffee shop on time. Like this is a phone call with my bosses on it and I can't just not show up and, um, you know, I can't even email them to let them know that I wouldn't be there because there's no cell phone service. And so, um, and and my bosses knew I was on the stall ride. Like I'm very transparent with them, but um, I think, you know, sometimes they forget. Like, if I don't show up to a, a meeting, you know, they're not just gonna automatically remember that it's because I might be in the woods, you know, without cell phone service. Right, right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I actually I told the people I was riding with. I was like, oh no, you know what, this is happening. I this this ride is taking a little longer than I expected. It's my fault for not knowing um, and planning around it better. And I didn't even communicate with you guys in advance that I had this phone call. And so one of the people on the ride was just so gracious. And actually um, he's much faster than me and he's a time trial racer. And he's like, okay, well, how about you draft off me? We'll sprint to big basin uh, or Boulder Creek as fast as possible. We'll get you service. We'll get you on your phone call. And then the rest of the group can meet us there. And so that's what we did. Oh my And, gosh. Um, you know, it, and it was just so generous to have someone else from the cycling community who understood that I, what I was trying to balance and then really go out of their way. And also basically time trial for 30 minutes to make sure that I could get this phone call on time. So um, there's small things like that where I, you know, I find that I, I will sometimes get myself into a bind and um, just, making sure that the people around me, you know, support me and know what I'm going through and leaning on them when I really need them has proved really helpful. Um, so yeah, those are examples. I think, you know, another time I showed up to a zoom call, this was actually last week. And, um, I didn't have that much time during the day to do my workout. I think I had like a two hour window and my workout was an hour and 45 or an hour and 50 minutes. And so I, Jumped off one phone call, jumped onto Zwift, and then jumped onto my next phone call, and I was still a little sweaty. Um, It was a video call, um, and it was with an entrepreneur, and I was like, hey, I'm trying to balance a lot. I've done my research. I know about your company. I know about the market. I've gone through your finances, Um, and I – I'm just trying to to balance my workouts and my and my work. So um, it, please, you know, apologize for what I look like, but I'm here and I'm ready for the conversation. So, oh you know, I gosh. think like, like there's, <laughs> there's times where it's not perfect. It's yeah. it's really not. Um, and I don't, I haven't. You know, there's plenty of times where I don't show up with perfect hair and makeup and dress and you know ready to work with my binder. It's you know it's not pretty like that. Um, but. At the same time, um, I, I do think that there are a lot of synergies between the two. Um, you know, there was a, a, a physical therapy company that I was working with for cycling and because um, since having some back pain and it, we almost ended up investing in the company at work because I had discovered it through cycling. So there's, there's you know, kind of some synergies like that. Um, but yeah, I would say that uh, there's a lot of factors that have gone in that I've had to really work hard over the years to make the two work together because mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't and so much and there's still so much i'm figuring out um like you know maybe rather than catching up with another venture capitalist over coffee i can catch up with them over a easy bike ride um yeah. you know, things like that where i'm trying to blend the two a little better Um, I've come a long way over the last year and a half of making them both work, but I I still have a long way to go. So um, that's a a quick answer.
1: Yeah. No, I love love that. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do?
0: Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big crazy adventures you know these are people who have kids they have families they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do but they have big goals they maybe want to do a big mountain bike race hundred miler something like dirty kanza they might just want to keep up on the group ride and all these things are really really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our in our busy lives right so i help people do that and so i really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I I coach and I build training plans and you know, that's, that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case.
1: And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in in chatting with you? You're on
0: the consummate athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Peter.
0: The Slow Ride Podcast. Three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast. The titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpoel had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Arrow Helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast. When's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast. The experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.
1: And okay, so I have to ask because I think a lot of people are actually dealing with this, like on Swift, and now I have to get on Zoom for a call. Yeah. Um, how do I, how, how do you handle like the mental shift from being like all in on your workout to like? boom now I'm all in on this phone call because I, I think a lot of people are struggling with that big time now that they're working from home and their office is also their like workout zone and their gym and their childcare and everything
2: yeah um no it's definitely hard I mean there's I, I actually think it's really important to compartmentalize the two um mm-hmm. because the last thing I want is to be joining a zoom call and thinking about my workout you know um totally so I've been, there's a few things I've done that are very intentional. Um, so I have my office in a very different room from my, uh, my Zwift setup. And so there's kind of the physical change where when I switch rooms, then it just looks and feels different. Um, and, you know, I, but, but at the same time, like there is a blend, like I, if I have a Zoom call Right after my workout, I will be drinking my protein shake during the during the Zoom call. Um, I'm just picturing
1: you putting it in like a normal like coffee <laughs> mug thing, so it looks like you're like a Starbucks cup or something. Like, oh, yeah, yes, just my normal coffee, not a weird protein. Yeah, I mean, shake. It,
2: I have done that. Um, I have also had Zoom calls where. Um, you know, if it's a 12 p.m. or 12.30 p.m. Zoom call and I have Zoom calls for the next two hours, like I will eat on one of my Zoom calls and mm-hmm. I will call them in advance. I'll try to figure out the Zoom call that makes the most sense for, um, but I'll, I'll put myself on mute and I'll be like, hey, it's a long day. Like I, I need to, you know, I'm eating my lunch during this call. I hope you don't mind. Um, or I will intentionally schedule, um, you know, call calls with my colleagues to be during lunchtime so that I maybe feel more comfortable eating in front of them than say an yeah. Um, and so, you know, I want a really busy schedule. I'd have to make time for that. Um, and then there's also been zoom calls where like, I'm literally, um, I have one of these roll recovery things for my legs, um, to help, you know, and I was like, if I can't be on a foam roller, what can I do if I'm sprinting from a workout? So, um, you know there's been times where i am like trying to roll out my legs during a zoom call <laughs> um and and you know it it's like sometimes hard to um make time for recovery i think when um, i'm jumping back and forth between the two so i do what i can um while being respectful and um it's not perfect you know i think that's the biggest thing is in the beginning, I am a very type A person. And so when I tried to balance the two, I just, I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted Mm -hmm. to have perfect recovery, perfect workout, you know, perfect work meetings. And I think the biggest thing that I've had to overcome and and be okay with is just accepting that things are not always going to be perfect. And um, I also let people know in advance, like, hey, I, you know, is it okay if I eat during this call or is it okay if I do X, Y, Z and, you know, checking in with people, accepting that it's not going to be perfect. And then, you know, making sure that I prepare well in advance. So if I have a, a call that I need to do research for, I'm not going to wait until, you know, I'm warming down on my trainer to do that research. I'm going to get mm-hmm. up and do the research in the morning, you know, and so preparing as much as I can before also has really helped. Yeah. Um, but those are just, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning too. Like this work from home is, is new to all of us. Yeah. And, um, so there's a lot of things that I, um, I, I am still learning too as we go. Yeah. And I
1: mean, on that note, uh, it sounds like, you know, being the, the type of personality and I, I definitely feel this, how are you figuring out how to like turn off because I mean between training and, and working from home, I think, you know, I definitely am. And I know a lot of people struggle with like, where's the line between like me as a person who just wants to watch a couple shows on Netflix at night and me trying to get like one more email sent.
2: Yeah. I, um, I am not the best role model for this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, it's actually, um, I think that working from home has actually in some ways, um, Forced me to make time for myself. I think in the past I would sometimes leave work and then I would drive home and then I would actually do more emails at home. And now because I'm not, you know, I'm not commuting, I'm not making that um, kind of geographic shift. Um, I have to force myself to um, make more personal time and set it aside. Um, and just a, you know, a few small examples, like we used to get food at work, um, you know, lunch, whereas now I have to make lunch. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I actually, I'm living with my brother right now, but before I, you know, I had a roommate and, and one of my things was, um, where if I had half an hour in the day, um, or 45 minutes, I would make sure that I set that time time aside to make lunch and actually sit down and eat it and really enjoy it and talk with my brother or, you know, Zoom with a friend or do something that was just not work. And um, sometimes I would go on a walk and I'd call my friend. And so, really setting aside a chunk of time when I have it um, during the middle of the day to just take that break has been really important. Um, I also would say that because I don't have to get ready in the morning to look nice, you know, at least for the most part, um, I have a little bit more time in the morning to. Um, sometimes I will spend five minutes meditating or I will, um, spend a bit more time, maybe calling a friend or, um, just setting aside a little bit more personal self time for myself in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the evenings, I, I, um, I do the same thing with meals, like for dinner, like I'll, I'll cook a good dinner. I'll enjoy it. Um and I never used to watch TV ever. But at night I I will now a few times a week just watch one episode of a show and it really helps me wind down. So I think um really making sure that I'm intentional about setting that time for myself. Mm-hmm. And when I do have to do something personal like cook a meal, I make sure that I enjoy it and then I treat it as something that is for me, not just a chore. And, um, so I think, I think the intentionality and then kind of the attitude at which you're approaching it, um, also has really helped me, um, make personal time. Um, but yeah, I mean, in some ways, actually, I think this whole work from home has made everyone more aware of the need for human connection. And so I've connected with a lot of my college friends who, For a few years, I wasn't in great contact with and we now have, you know, a roommate weekly Zoom call. And so I think, uh, yeah, and so I think, um, you know, having um, because everyone is experiencing this, there's actually, I think, in some ways, um, I don't want to use the word peer pressure, it's positive peer pressure. But if people are inviting me to, you know, a group Zoom call of my old friends, um, or my old team or, or whatnot, um, that also allows me to create space that I might not have done on my own before. And so I've actually found that the kind of positive external influence has really helped me create that space as well. Yeah.
1: No, for sure. Um, I also like your point about not having to get ready in the morning. I realized two days ago that Zoom has a feature that's like even out my appearance. And once I realized, (laughs) I can click that button. Yeah, it's in the it's in the video um, settings, and it is the greatest
2: button that you will ever click. Um. (laughs) I am totally. (laughs) I've discovered their virtual backgrounds. Oh um, yeah, which I a hundred percent use for my work calls because especially, you know, if I have, like, a foam roller in the background and something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Um, it, it, uh, yeah. uh, fortunately, I don't have kids. I, I had a um, work call the other day, and um, the woman, uh, apparently her kids were upset that she wasn't giving them enough attention okay. during, you know, while she was home, and so they came in and started tickling her toes during the Zoom call. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I'm very lucky that I don't have you know, those distractions, but, um, yes. yeah, I need to try out this, this, uh, image evening feature. Yeah.
1: It's, it's genuinely the greatest thing on earth. It, it was like the best discovery I've made in the last two weeks. Um, awesome. <laughs> okay.
2: you know, I think, I think one of the great things about this whole work from home is I actually think people are showing a much more authentic version of themselves. Totally. Zoom. And I think that creates a sense of vulnerability and humanity and authenticity that, um, you know, it's a silver lining of all of this. Uh, certainly, I would not have wished for COVID or work yeah. from home to happen in the way it has. Um, and but at the same time, as I as I try to think of some of the things that we can make the most out of it, um, I do think that people will come out of this with a greater appreciation for um, like showing a real side of themselves and being more accepting of of when people, um, you know, aren't aren't perfect, you know, mm-hmm. in the way that they always seem. And I think that's a really positive thing, especially in this age of like, social media and 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 whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, definitely. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, on the topic of what's going on right now, how are you, how are you coming to terms with kind of the, the no race calendar right now, especially first year on the team that must, that kind of uh, sucks.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it sucks. Um, It's been really hard actually emotionally for me. You know, I had worked, I have worked so hard in so many years for this goal to become a pro cyclist. And, you know, every single training session, when I was on the verge of wanting to quit my workout, I just reminded myself, you know, I have this goal, it's going to be worth it. And I would just visualize myself as a pro cyclist, you know, Mm -hmm. in the middle of races or racing in Europe or racing with my team. And all of those visualizations and workouts and build up kind of came to this moment in the spring. And then I felt like this pursuit and passion I'd had was just stripped out from underneath me. And I'm sure athletes around the world feel that, not just athletes, but I'm sure a lot of people who are pursuing things and have worked hard for things feel that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, especially when it's something that is a priority for me. You know, I think my family is my priority, and then I have cycling and work, and you know everything else. And um, and it just it does it does take a really big hit to kind of my my emotional wellness. I would say, and I've had to lean on a lot of people for support, and um, and it's been hard. Like I I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the ways that I have coped with it and have come to terms with it is knowing that, um, this will come to an end and I will still have my chance to, to be a pro cyclist. It might be delayed, but it will be there. And I just, um, the work that I put in, you know, a year ago, um, I can still put in today and Mm -hmm. it will still bear fruition at some point. I, I don't know exactly when, but just having faith that we, we will get through this and that all of the work I did six months ago will still be able to prove itself, you know, it will come to life eventually. Um, I think it's helped me. Um, I think realize you know, making new goals for myself. You know, yeah. um, I might not be able to compete in certain races, um, you know, these few months, but there are new goals I can create, I can try to win certain Zwift races, I can try to get some QOMs on Strava. I can um, you know, try to m- build my um you know, like balance muscles and do more core exercises so that um I'm better balanced. I've gone more into gravel riding and trying to kind of broaden my skill set. Um if I can't practice riding in groups, well then I'll practice riding um in a different area of cycling that can still improve my skill set. And so, um, you know, setting different goals has also been helpful.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then I think also taking this time to make space for things that I didn't make space for before. Um, and by that, I mean, um, you know, when I was intensely training, I think I neglected some of my, relationships with friends um you know i would i would spend my whole weekends on these long rides and i didn't see my friends as often and so realizing that you know i can use this space to really um call my friends all the time and zoom with them and um make you know, kind of virtual plans with them and catch up on other things in my life that are really important to me but that i maybe wasn't investing in six months ago and so yeah. Um yeah, I think all of those have really helped. hmm Yeah, we we actually just had
1: Catherine Pendrel on and you know, she's three time Olympian, two time mountain bike world champion. And you know, this was going to be her like last year of World Cup racing theoretically in her last Olympics. And she said, you know, really similar to you, she's you know, kind of shifted the goals. And the big thing that she, you know, kind of was pointing out is you know, it's an endurance cycle an endurance sports, so like like cycling. It's still going to be there next year. Like mm-hmm. racing is not canceled forever, and you know the endurance and fitness and stuff is going to last for another year. Like
2: yeah, it's true, and 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 the skill sets, you know, yeah, the of being able to balance on your bike and build your core, and uh, you know, I've, I've tried practicing um, more no hands or practicing on my rollers, um, and you know, doing more skill based things that um, that I know will, will help me in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then everyone
1: is doing Zwift right now. So I have to ask how, what's your Zwift setup look like?
2: Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a, I'm probably not as much of an avid Zwifter as um, a lot of cyclists. So I have my, um, well, we have our four eyes trainer um through Tipco that we use. Um and I also have the tax Neo. So um I spend a lot of time in my brother's place and my place and so I actually have a trainer in each place. Nice. Um <laughs> I have a, a big screen T V in front of me. Um and I what else? Um I think it's Pretty similar to everyone's, you know, a, the, the towel and my multiple water bottles and my favorite food nearby mm-hmm. uh, snacks. Um, I have this massive fan that I have needed, especially with the heat here in California. Um, but you know, to be honest, I only Zwift probably once, maybe twice a week um, during COVID. I try to get outside um, at least kind of open space by myself, when yeah. I can. and even just for a little bit. I think connecting with cycling and getting some vitamin D has just been really helpful, um, for me. Um, and then when I'm not on Zwift, sometimes I will do workouts, um, still on the trainer, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll listen to music or I'll do other things, but, um, Zwift, I, I was not a Zwifter before COVID. And I would say, even though I don't do it every day, I've definitely converted to being a Zwift enthusiast Um, and it helps that they have all these races and, um, you know, pretty much any hour of the day you can join a ride or a race or, you know, any skill level, any goal. And that's been really great, especially with my work schedule, because I, I can just hop on and not have to worry about fitting everything around, you know, a, a a two hour window. That's the only Mm -hmm. Zwift race during the day. So.
1: Yeah. Now I feel like a lot of, it's been kind of like contentious between pros where some of them are just like racing on Zwift is not the same as like racing in real life. Like I do not get the same feeling from it. It does not count, like whatever. And then there are some that have just completely embraced it and like love it. Where, Where do you fall on the spectrum? You're also allowed to be in the middle of it.
2: I would say it's definitely not the same as racing. Um, I mean, even things like the start line, like you have to be powering at the start line in order to not get dropped in the first five seconds. That's not really the case at a real race. Mm Um, um, I think, but at the same time, you know, what, what I find I need during COVID is in some ways just the adrenaline rush of a race and Zwift does give that, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't give. I mean, so much of what I love about cycling is being outside and seeing the beautiful scenery and feeling the wind on my face, and those things are such a big part of my passion for cycling. And so Swift doesn't give me those, but it does give me, um, you know, the punchiness of racing, kind of the unexpected, um, you know, someone sprinting when I don't expect it, um, and having to chase people and having to go from a downhill to an uphill and change my power. And so there's um, um, trying to respond to when other people make attacks, you know, all of those things are still on Zwift. And so I would say they're kind of a dampened down version of a real race. Mm -hmm. And yet during COVID, when that's all we have, it feels amazing to be able to have that. (laughs) You know, it's incredible. And so compared to not having Swift, it is absolutely incredible. And I think it's a godsend that we have it. Yeah, Yeah, Um, for sure. But, you know, there's nothing that compares to a real race in my mind.
1: Totally, um, and then okay, you mentioned gravel, and you're you're kind of starting to dabble in that. Um, any tips for sort of shifting from the road to gravel? Because I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing right now, and you know, it's it's not the same. It's it's yeah. not just like oh, the tires are bigger. That's that's about it. No, it's a different animal.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so the first thing I would say is you know, talk to people who do ride gravel, ask for some tips, um, and. I was fortunate in that I started riding gravel right before COVID. And so I had the chance to go out and ride with some people who could give me tips on the spot. Um, but, um, I think it requires a lot more core balance and balance because, Mm um, you know, the, the surface underneath you is just not as even. Um, I think it requires, um, slightly, I don't want to say faster reaction times, but, um, you know, in in road racing, you have to react to the people around you. Um, in gravel, you kind of have to react to the ground underneath you. And so it's this—it's still kind of a, a similar reaction time. Like you have to be willing to uh, react to things, but you're reacting to different things. And so you just have to change your focus a little bit in um, kind of how you are interacting with your surroundings. Um, and then I would say you know, your power is a lot more inconsistent in gravel because, mm-hmm. um, and so I think having less of an obsession with numbers, um, you know, when I go out and ride gravel, I don't even have, I don't even have a power meter on my gravel bike. Um, and so what I'm really focused on is not trying to hit a sustained 20 minute power. What I'm focused on is trying to, um, you know, maintain my balance and feel very one with my bike. And, um, and, um, you know, mix up the terrain a lot more. And so it's just a very different experience that way. And just, I use gravel as a way to, at least right now, just to kind of escape from the, the monotony, (laughs) monotony of, um, you know, indoor training. Um, and then I would say, you know, it's much more endurance based. Um, it's, it's not as team oriented. And so um, I find gravel to be in some ways time for me to just rejuvenate and reconnect with nature. And um, it is a social thing though, outside of COVID, even though you're not riding necessarily with team dynamics, you're, it's much more inclusive and that there's a lot more mass start gravel races that are Mm
1: -hmm.
2: all genders, all ages, all skill levels, one mass start. And so I think that's um, a really exciting aspect of gravel. Um, so, yeah, I would say if you want to get into gravel, um, you know, talk to people who are experienced with it, work on your core, and then just go out and get used to riding it because it's different. And maybe start with some easier, easier, uh, easier routes um, mm-hmm. because you can fall over, I think, a little easier in gravel.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think you're, you're right about the the pace and the numbers and stuff. Like a 50-mile gravel race is going to be very different than a 50-mile road race mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, time-wise. And I think that's, that's actually where I've screwed up in the past, for sure, where I'm like, oh, it's 70K, I can do that, like, no problem. And then it's yep. like, oh,
2: right, it's like 1.5 times as long as a road race. Yeah, Time-wise. I've also found, i've I found that I've had to improve my mechanical or my mechanic skills because if you are on the road and you know something totally breaks down, worst case you can call a friend, call an Uber, yeah. have to pick you up. Um, in gravel, you could be in the middle of nowhere, um, or at least you know ten miles from the nearest road, and you have to be a lot more self sufficient. And so mm-hmm. I would say, if you want to go on gravel rides, especially during COVID. Really make sure you know how to change a flat tire, plug a tire, you know, assess your derailleur, um, and you know, make small adjustments as needed because Definitely. you are much more on your own. Yes, absolutely. Oh, amazing. Um,
1: so, okay, I guess last thing is just where can everyone find you and and follow along with your your various indoor and outdoor adventures mm-hmm. at the moment.
2: Um, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most social, um, on, on social media. Um, um, but I, my Instagram is Arctic Fox, uh, Arctic cause I'm from Alaska and Fox cause my last name is Faulkner. Um, and everyone in college called me Fox. So, um, that's at A-R-C-T-I-C-F-A-U-L-K-S. Um, you can also follow Team Tipco SVB on Instagram. Um, and then on Facebook, I'm just Kristen Faulkner. And, um, I don't think there's any published results that you can follow, you know, lately. Um, and then on Zwift, I'm also Arctic Fox. So, um, those are probably the channels where you'll see me the most. Awesome. And feel free to direct message me as well. If you uh, just, you know, have any questions about cycling or, or anything like that. I love to, um, support new riders and, and meet new writers as much as possible so
1: I love that well thank you so much for for taking the time to chat in what seems to be a very very busy life (laughs) it was really (laughs) fun catching up with you
2: thank you Molly really appreciate the time it was great to meet you as well Hey, everyone.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It you know gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just you know a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to.
0: If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of Other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website.
1: And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.